Welcome to another episode of the Evolved Idiots. This is Matthew Nathaniel, and with me today I have Lucas Canada. Thank you for joining me this morning, sir, all the way from uh, the other side of the world. That's <laughs> <laughs> true, but thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you joining me. How how are things uh, how are things going over there? How what's it what's it like over there in France right now? It's pretty good. Uh, we are very active, uh, both uh, rugby wise and business wise. So it's pretty intense. Uh, very good adventure, very good challenge. Um, got a big game coming on Sunday. So yeah, nice. very cool. Nice. Thanks. Yeah, how, how's how's the uh, how how is uh, is are things pretty much back to normal uh, over there where you're at? Well, there's a good amount of people that have been vaccinated, so that mm-hmm. helps a lot. They are asking what they call here pass uh, sanitar, which actually means that you've been either vaxxed or that you had COVID and you have recovered, uh, which allows us to be a bit more free uh, when it comes to doing stuff. There's cases where people that are, are vaccinated get COVID anyways. So you never know. You you, you do need to, to, to be careful nonetheless, but at least we can carry on doing what we love to uh, and not just stay inside like back in the days. How about yeah, there where you are? Uh, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that. Um, I'm, I'm here in L.A. L.A.'s got probably the most uh, strict... Uh, guidelines maybe in the country. Um, and so interestingly, I think a lot of us would be very happy if, uh, as, as they're doing there in France, it sounds like where they're, where they're, they're taking natural immunity, you know, if you've had it and recovered, then that seems to count. Is that correct over there? Yeah. It counts like one dose of vaccine. Gotcha. So let's say you had one and you had COVID. Well, that counts for two, for at least think, six months, I think. Gotcha. And they've proved that it starts going down. Right. I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, it's just one to you know, keep going in one point in time. We need to just turn page, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would agree with that. I'm certainly ready for that. Like I said, here, it's pretty restrictive. Uh, LA, in fact, the city passed a, a law. Basically, if you're not uh, current on well, they haven't even updated it. You just have to be vaccinated at this point. So it could have even been a year ago. Um, but essentially, you're not allowed to go. The unvaccinated are not allowed to go anywhere um, except like the grocery store and the bank. Other than that, they're pretty much banned from society at this point. Um, <laughs> you're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> land of the free, right? <laughs> um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about about you you yourself because you're you've got an interesting story. You're involved in a lot of things. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background, because obviously sports have played a huge influence. Um, what was it like? I, if I understand correctly, I, I believe you were you grew up in Argentina. What was it like growing up there um, as a young kid playing sports? Uh, and, and what's the sports culture there uh, like? Obviously, football uh, is very prominent, but. Yeah, true. So I, I did play some football myself and uh, I liked it, of course, but. The, I'd say the the atmosphere it's not the same. That's why I went the rugby path. Mm. And back home, uh, back in Argentina, rugby is 100% amateur. So your focus is just making friends, having fun, uh, learning. Uh, it's a different side uh, from sports, right? You're not just focusing on 
getting a, a contract or getting a scholarship or uh, you know what I mean, right? So it's the focus is different. Uh, ever since I was a kid, you always listen uh, that rugby is for friends uh, to create a family. This, this I always call it the rugby family. So nowhere in the world. Uh, if you speak rugby, if you played rugby, if you support rugby and you find someone else that does the same, you immediately connect. It's like you speak the same language. Uh, that's something very interesting. And I don't think that's that happens as much maybe on other sports. And uh, yeah, I've been back in Argentina until I was 25. It was in 2015. Uh, my dream was to become a professional athlete. I wanted to at least try for one season to focus 100% on doing rugby and that just that. So I was kind of doing it when I was back home because I, I did train not like a professional, but almost. But I had to, at the same time, I, I was studying in university and I was also working. So it's not as easy. And then back in 2015, uh, I had an opportunity to come to France uh, to play professional rugby. I took it. I mean, I was, I, I've been working so hard to get that chance. Uh, so that made my decision a lot easier. Um, thankfully, of course, I was supported by my girlfriend at that time, uh, <laughs> my wife today, uh, also by my family. I mean, they were all happy that I was able to pursue my dreams, right? So the, the the impact and the change was not that hard. But yeah, ever since uh, that time, I stayed in France, I kept playing. I've been playing professionally for uh, six years already. Uh, but at the same time, I've also asked myself the question, is there not something else that you would like to do in the meantime? I mean, it's not just about sports, but also taking all your experience, let's say, on the sports side into something else. So I did my first year purely focused on rugby. And then I had two or three years where I studied. Uh, I made a management career while I was playing. And after that, I decided that I wanted something else. I wanted to, to involve myself into the uh, working space, let's call it, into actually being... Um, into business. And uh, that's how I joined Unicorn uh, two years ago. And uh, been working on this duality of playing professionally uh, and uh, working at the same time. Sounds challenging. <laughs> um, yeah, but what's, what's life? It's not challenges, right? Very true. Very true. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, I I grew up playing sports, and uh, for and it's really became ingrained into my life. Obviously, I I never progressed as far as as you have, um, but it still had a huge impact on on my life on my life and and kind of how I am and how I look at things. And I think for for me, you know. I realized very early on sports is one of the things that I think made me realize, you know, I'm, I'm not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not this, I'm not the best anything, but there's a lot of people out there that aren't willing to work as hard. And mm -hmm. so like, you know, I really have leaned into that and that really the competitiveness really drove that, that sports created. And I think if, 
there's a certain aspect that if you play sports as a young person, that kind of becomes part of, of your, of your personality to some extent, that competitiveness. And it translates, I think very well into people who do seek challenges. They don't always seek the, the most smooth, easy, proven path. You know, they, they kind of look to blaze their own trails and do their own things and, and kind of take that over. Can you talk a little bit about how, that that has influenced uh you know the transition and and you know even did you have any uh you know entrepreneurial business inclinations when you were younger or is this something that kind of just developed as you were thinking you know there's just some there's something more that I want to try and do so yeah i mean i i agree 100% with you and uh, this the things that you've mentioned are, are things that i I talk about every single time because I do think there's 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 parallelism between sports and business, which is huge, and there's lots of connections. And as you said, I think that who I am today, it's of course a lot of influence from sports, from playing team sports, basically, because right. I do think there's a lot that you can work around that on leadership, on motivation. That uh, I think it's crucial to to any business. And also, I like—I really like what you've said about that competitive spirit. I've always seen myself as someone who hates to lose. So I just—I I really, really want to win, and I get angry even when I lose, no matter what I do. Yeah. And some people think that that's a flaw, but I see it as something completely—it's uh, it, a very powerful force that drives you. At least that's what happens to me. Uh, I do think that that winning mentality, I, I, I call it, because, you know, always wanting some something more, always wanting to succeed, to, to perform, to win, uh, drives you to, as you said, work to get where you want to be. And uh, it's interesting how you how you said it. I mean, I was always told I was not big enough uh, to play professional <laughs> rugby. Always. And that, I mean, to me, that was just, I mean, I want to prove you wrong. Yeah. I'm going to do everything I can <laughs> to prove you wrong. And uh, that's what I did. I mean, it does not always work, but at least I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do everything I can to, to make it happen. If not, okay, I, I'll fill. Uh, confident that I've I've done everything that I could, but as you said, people need to be uh, to recognize that you need to work to get there. I mean, yeah. things do not come for free, uh, and the same happens in business. The same happens in life afterwards. I think that lesson is very important, and I, I was happy to have that lesson through rugby, through many different uh, situations where you 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 need to roll up your sleeves and get to work. I'm I'm not a big fan of of fitness, of running, for instance, mm. uh, during the preseason. Okay. So I'm so sad to tell you, but you need to run. I mean, there's no other way. I was like, okay, shit. I mean, I need to do this. Uh, if I want to be fit to play, I'll need to do it. Even if I don't like it, uh, I just I mean, you roll up your sleeves and you, and you work and you, you get it done. And at the end of the day, the reward is that you've got to be playing your games better. You're going to perform uh, and you're going to get wherever you want to be. Yeah, I've, I've, I, I kind of look at that, at that, I, I kind of think about it as like a fire that's burning inside. And some people's fire is a little brighter than others. 
And if your fire gets out of control, you know, it can eat you. Uh, it can burn you alive. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. some people don't know how to control and direct and focus that competitive spirit, that fire that burns within them and it just kind of burns out of control. And you see them maybe go reach real high apexes, but they don't stay there very long. You know what I mean? Yeah. True. Um, but I think you touched on something else that's really important there is that, you know, you don't always succeed. <laughs> you know, true. you try a lot of things and some of the most successful people I, I know or that I've spoken with ever, they failed many more times than they've actually succeeded. But they keep that. It's, again, it's that that drive to keep going and keep trying uh, mm-hmm. that that really that really keeps it makes it happen eventually for them. That's true. I, I read one phrase once that says that uh, a person that succeeds is a person that has lost but tried one more time. Uh, so, I mean, it takes, maybe you don't know how many times it takes to succeed, but I mean, you don't know when it's coming. But if you keep going, eventually uh, it, it'll come. And one of the things that I always talk about is that um, the difference between business and sports in the, is that in sports, one team wins, the other one loses. The beauty about business is that we can all succeed uh, wherever we are on our space. We can succeed and we don't need to win against someone. You just need to do to fulfill your objectives, whatever those are, and we can all be successful. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. There, there's definitely more room. There's, uh, but I, I still know a lot of people in the business world that very much see if they're not at the very top, everyone else is their, <laughs> it's their competition which makes for a very uh, interesting business environment in, in, in companies like that, you know. Um, what about this, this transition of, of going from, you know, first of all, let's talk about being a professional athlete because I'm, I'm a little bit curious. What is that, what was that journey like for you? You said it wasn't necessarily, uh, it was just amateur. It was, it was like a team sport in Argentina. How did you get that, get that break? Uh, what was, you know, what, what broke you through into that? You said you took a year and really focused. Was that your first pro year or was that prior to actually signing and going pro? No, that was actually my pro year, but I had, I took the decision that I wanted to become a professional athlete couple of years ago, I don't know, four or five years before that. So I said to myself, if you want to become professional, you need to do as much as you can as a professional player to get there. So I was training four times a week, uh, plus whatever trainings we were making with the team. I was eating well, sleeping well, recovering well. If I had to choose to go out uh, or sleep for a game, I would sleep. You know, little, de- um, little details, what I, mm-hmm. I like to call them, because uh, in my opinion, there's no one thing that makes you get there, but it's the summing up of little details that can actually bring you into better shape, better, uh, better recovery, that you can keep turning games one after the other. And uh, so I had a you know, couple of good years, uh, you start getting uh, the visibility that you need to get a contract outside. Uh, and eventually, if you keep adding good years after years, usually uh, good things come. 
Yeah. And, and like you said, it takes, it takes all a lot of little things, you know, even, even for myself, you know, I haven't played, uh, I've, you know, only played for recreation and fun for, for decades now <laughs> at my point in life. Um, but I still stay real active and I try to take care of myself and, and eat well because, and people are like, well, why do you still train like that? And for <laughs> me, I think it's two reasons. One, I think for me, it's cheaper than therapy. Like I, I feel mentally, I feel so mentally refreshed and just positive after I've had a really intense hard workout where I've like really, like you said about running, like, man, I don't want to do this and you're hating it while you're doing it. But once it's over, I just feel so much better. Um, I, I think that that's part of it. Um, but like when you get into all those little details, you know, now may be more important than ever for people to, to be healthy and, and have a strong immune system with everything that's going on. Can you talk a little bit about like, what's a di- what was your diet like before? And like, what did you shift it to during that, you know, that intense training period? Like what does a professional athlete, you know, what's their diet like? I think there's many, many different, you know, theories when it comes to diet. Uh, I, I do like nutrition. So I kind of research myself pretty much everything that I do. And yeah, when you are a professional, you tend to eat a little bit more in terms of quantities because I mean, you are using more energy. But at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of the theory that says that your body is, it's maths. So you add up what you take and what you consume. And uh, if you're taking too much, then you gain weight, you gain fat. And if you are spending a lot more than what you're eating, then you're losing weight. And then, of course, it comes into, um, you know, you need to check what kind of food are you eating? Because if you're eating 100% fat, of course, whatever you're doing, you're just adding fat to your body, which is in my opinion, not productive. Uh, so what I usually like to focus on is to get my proteins well. I do have uh, an intake of around two grams of protein per kilo. Uh, and then you double up on carbs and you half that up on fat intakes. That usually gives you a good number. Uh, it's pretty easy, and I don't measure it every day. What I what I do is I just take one, you know, example day for me. I just measure one day around, and I see if I'm around the, the, that, those numbers. That's it, and I just keep eating regularly uh, as good as I eat. Because I'm also a believer that if you just concentrate too much on that, I mean, there is no escape, and then you just get burnt out and you just cannot stand it and you, you won't do it anymore. One of, one of the, one of the, one of the biggest things, you know, I, I talk to people who are uh, oftentimes trying to figure out how to get their diet more in balance like that. And the thing they seem to struggle with most is, is their protein intake. Hmm, true. Do you have any, do you supplement with protein, uh, you know, protein powders, protein bars, these kind of things to help get that protein, amount that you're looking for each day? I do, but I do it in a, I, I like to call it in a smart way. So one of the things that I found out that was pretty bad for muscles, uh, again, in one of the theories out there, I mean, there right. are hundreds of different theories, <laughs> right? So I'm based on one theory that says your last meal, your, your dinner was 
I don't know, I take dinner at eight o'clock in the night and then you go to bed, you go to sleep and probably you wake up, what, at 7 a.m. in the morning, you go for breakfast and you had almost 11 hours without taking anything to eat. That means your body had not any, had not received any protein intake either. And for me, and on my diet, on my, you know, usually people in Argentina do not have protein on their breakfasts. It's just not common. You know, we don't take eggs, we don't take bacon, we don't take meat. We just take, you know, toasts, uh, some milk. Yeah, you've got some protein, but not, but not enough. Right. Uh, so what I do, because I'm not used to having a lot of protein in, in my breakfast, I take a protein shake in the morning. First thing I do, just to cut it off. I mean, so your body has been sleeping for 11 or not 11 hours, so has not had any food for 11 hours. Okay, protein shake first thing in the morning, get it running. Uh, and that's the first thing I do. And then during the day, I usually do not take any, any more. Uh, the only exception is whenever I go to the gym, after the gym, I do take another uh, protein shake, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. interesting. How about you? Um, you know, I I do I definitely supplement. Um, I I try to hit, um, and I don't know how this equates to your to your two per kilo, but I try to hit to get make sure that I'm doing somewhere close to a gram per pound. Per pound, um, that's yeah. pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close, I think. And so, um, you know, it is challenging. You know, and and you know. I, I use the powders a lot, you know, I, I usually take a shake a day. And then, um, I also have a, I have a little special recipe that I make oatmeal out of, <laughs> and I use some okay. vanilla protein powder in that. And that just, you know, mixes really well with, with fruit, uh, taste wise to me. So, yeah, you know, that I do, I do pancakes myself. Ah, yeah. Like the pancakes. pancakes with, with eggs and oats. I mean, you get the proteins are and good carbs in it helps. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What is, uh, do you, do you eat breakfast normally before you train or when do you train? Do you train in the mornings, in the evenings, or just whenever you can? No, we usually train in the mornings and in the evenings. So yes, I take, I do take breakfast before I train. I, I really don't like fasting before, uh, training. I know there's a lot of, uh, hump, let's say on, uh, yeah, <laughs> on, on fasting these days, but I'm not a big fan. I do feel my body, you know, carving for food after three, four hours. I just starve. So I listen to my body a little bit. If I'm, I'm not, I'm fit. I don't need to change my habits that much because uh, you know I feel my body pretty, pretty good. So uh, I I stick to what's working and what have been working so far. Uh, I do understand that some people like to try it or like to try different things, but not in my case, at least. Yeah. And like you said, there, you know, by no means should anybody uh, take anything we're saying like as, as the law when it comes to diet or training or any of that, because everybody is different and what'll work for one person may not work for another and vice versa. And so, but yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. You know, if I get up really early to do, to train, like if, you know, some mornings before work, I'll get up four or five in the morning and, and, and get it in. And if I haven't, you know, if I ate right before I went to bed, sometimes I won't uh, have breakfast before I, I go or really have anything before I go. Um, but if it's any later than that and it's going to be any kind of intensive workout, like, 
Yeah, man, you just start to feel it in your body. You feel a little weaker, like I, I or at least I do. I, I don't know. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I just yeah. can't. I, I feel not useless, but pretty much. <laughs> yeah, you. I feel like I'm not getting as much out of the workout as I should be getting out. Especially of after the 30 minute mark, something like that, you start to feel it down. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, what kind of what kind of training routine uh, do you do you typically have? On a typical week, what we do is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings, we've got gym and uh, a small field session, mm. uh, usually not that much running on that field session. And then at night, those three days, we we have a, a, our big field session, an hour and a half, let's say. Uh, there's always one video at least one or two video sessions uh, before the trainings at night. We play Sundays, Sundays around three o'clock. And then we've got uh, two days of recovery, which are Mondays and Thursdays. We go to the swimming pool on Mondays and we've got our kine physiotherapist uh, available to us to, to recover after the games and same, same for Thursdays. And then Saturdays is just off completely off for everyone yeah that would be a normal week how, how do you all what's 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 what is the weight training uh specifically like I, you said you do it before you actually do the field training so that that makes sense to me that you kind of do the strength training and then and then go into the field um what what but what is the what do you do uh specifically is there is it more um high reps uh or is it is it actually going in and trying to to you know gain muscle well we we go for heavy and explosiveness yeah it's it's a good balance and pretty hard to 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 achieve actually because uh they don't go that well one with the other so yeah but yeah uh, a good coach manages to get you into a good physically strong enough and and it develops your you know explosiveness at the same time uh there's also a big focus on mobility um to avoid injuries uh, preparation um core so you know, same with football, American football. You do need to have your whole body strong yeah. uh, to actually stand up hits and and keep going, uh, avoiding to go into the ground as quickly, uh, trying to break tackles. I mean, you, you need to have a good balance, a good whole body strength. One one of the things that's always fascinated me is that both rugby and American football are very rough sports, but in, in kind of different ways, you know, for a long time, I felt like American football was actually safer because you had this helmet on and it was protecting you and all this, but a lot has kind of come out about CTE and, and concussions in, from, from that sport in particular. And in fairness, if, if you watch the two sports, it is, a they do, the hits are lined up a little bit differently. I, I, I will have to admit but what kind of uh, precautions? I noticed that in, in some of yours, you, you wear you wear something on your head, and some of the other players don't. Is that for True. concussion uh, prevention? Yeah, or? pretty much. 
Okay. I, mean, I myself, I used that helmet because I had a couple of concussions when I was like small. Mm. Uh, actually, my mom, my mom was the one that took me to rugby in the first place when I was five. But that day, she came to me and very serious, and she said, "I've got two options for you. So the first option <laughs> is that you quit rugby." I was like, "Okay, let's go to the second option. Option B, B, B. Let's let's." And option B is that you you actually use a helmet. Whenever you play, that's okay. Okay, easy decision. Let's. I'll just take a help because yeah. yeah, I mean it helps. It it will not avoid every single concussion, but it will help. It will make them less important, less serious. Uh, it's not a it's not a hard it's helmet. Not a hard either. helmet. No, it's like having an extra protection, but just I mean it's not that hard. It's, it's just a little bit of cushioning. <laughs> exactly. So if you, if you get a big hit, it'll knock you down. But yeah, yeah. Is is this uh is this something that's that's a pretty significant problem in in rugby that as far as uh, concussions in general? Yeah, there's some big effect lately because there's been, of course, more and more. The game has developed so much in the last I don't know 10, 15 years. Uh, we are averaging actual game time of around 30, 35 minutes. Sometimes it can go up to 40. It's actual game time. And I think but back in the day, it was just 20. So the time has doubled. Uh, so the you know bodies are, are much more into contact than before. Uh, the, the fitness preparation for from everyone is not the same. Everyone's fit now. Uh, everyone goes to the gym. So yeah, of course the hits are a lot stronger, but you are also in a better position yourself. Uh, but yeah, and, and there's more awareness that there used to be back in the day. So they are trying to say not change the rules, but adapt a little bit, especially on the young, on the kids, uh, on the lower divisions where you can. I don't know, try to avoid or being a lot more severe with the sanctions when it comes to high tackles, for instance, because the worst hits that we can get on rugby, you know, you get a shoulder or your face and that that's just KO, right? Uh, That knocks you down. And then the other issue that you cannot fix is when you get a knee straight into your head. I mean, but I mean, there are techniques to avoid that. It's not always easy to do them, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a rule that you you learn from when you're a kid. I, I'm still trying to learn it, but don't don't tell everyone. Uh, <laughs> so you should be putting your head uh, on their ass, let's say, so on the back, uh, never never in front of the knees, because what that's where that's when you get knocked out. Yeah. I imagine that's not always possible when you're in the middle of falling and down or running or. Oh, wait, <laughs> you know. come on, stop a minute. Turn around. Right and- head, yeah, <laughs> on the right place. Come on. I mean, it's yeah. not perfect. Well, what, you know, rugby being kind of a, of a, of a rough sport because, you know, every sport has its challenges. I'll admit that, but I think there is a difference between playing a sport like rugby and playing a sport like golf um, and what you may learn from it. What what has something? What are the, some of the things that you've learned from you know rugby that you've that's just different than other sports to you that you've kind of picked up and, and taken into this 
uh, next phase of, of, of your life? For me, rugby, I, I call it the, the family of rugby. Rugby is my home. It's my family. So how to explain this? So the feeling that you get when you are talking to your people, um, again, no matter where they are, you just understand each other. It's like if you speak the same language, right? We, we're speaking English here. Uh, and I guess if someone from Latin America comes and they speak in Spanish or Japanese and they start speaking Japanese, they won't understand each other. But I, I would bet that if they all play rugby, there was a way to understand each other and have a laugh, have a good time. And I think that's on my essence, right? That That's where I come from. And also... Um, I, I do think I do talk about two things that are very important that I've learned through rugby that are motivation and leadership. I think every team needs uh, leaders that motivate their people. And uh, why do I speak about this? Because there's different ways of motivating people, of leading people. I'm a big fan of uh, leaders that do lead by example. So yes. actually showing you what you need to do because I'm doing it myself. And it's working. Uh, I think probably the best rugby team in history or in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years has been the All Blacks from New Zealand. And uh, one of the things that I found the most interesting whenever it comes to one of their games is that they can be, you know, playing a, de a decent game. Uh, they're never bad, of course. They are the best team in the world. But sometimes they are just there, you know? And eventually you see one guy that makes a huge tackle. Next minute, you see the guy next to him, boom, breaking the line, scoring. And that turns into the snowball effect that everyone gets, I mean, motivated. And because one or two guys just said, okay, let's show what we need to do. Let's stop talking and let's actually do it. And um, I think that's very powerful in sports, but also in business. Um, so that synergy and that connection between both, I, I, I really love it. Yeah, I can't, I, I cannot express how much respect I have for, for leaders. And I, I will also say that these are two qualities and, and two things that we, we need in real life too, not just on, on the sports field. We need leaders that are going to get stuff done and, not just talk a big game, you know, but it's something that, you know, when I was a very small child, my, my grandma, I remember she used to do, do things with me and she, and a lot of it was work related, related chores and things like that. And she was like, you know, I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not going to be willing to do myself. And that has always kind of resonated with me. And it's something that, I found I find myself disappointed in leaders to in a lot of leaders today because uh, or at least the ones that don't seem to have that background or that willingness to like, you know, get get in with the rest of the workers and like, let's get the shipment out or like whatever it is that needs to be let's done, do it. Yeah. you know, just let's do it, um, you know, and I think that makes them also much more relatable, like the average person, you know, anybody feels like they're connected. If that person can do it, then we can do it. Uh, together, you know, and it, it just changes the whole dynamic. Like you said, it's such a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. I agree. Totally agree. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit. What, what made making the switch from, uh, from, well, you're not really switching. You're still 
continuing your pro career, um, but you, but you've decided to expand your repertoire into this business, this, into this business world. What is it like, um, you know, for you when you when you said you wanted to do this? What were people's reactions, uh, and and how has that kind of how have people taken to this sports guy coming into the business world um, with his, you know, competitive spirit? <laughs> well, many take me for, you know, being crazy because, I mean, where do you, I mean, uh, how much time do you have? Uh, for me, it's easy, I would say, because both of the things that I'm doing right now, they are my passion. So I have that fire inside me that you were talking about to do both things. And that makes it easy. I'd, I mean, we all know lots of people that never find their passions, that they just go to work from nine to five. I've got nothing against that. But having that passion that allows you to push further and take the extra mile, I mean, that makes the whole difference to me. And in this case, I'm doing both my passions at the same time. So, I mean... It's not going to stop me, right? Quite the opposite. Um, if I need to dedicate more time, I'll do it willingly because I love what I do. I think that's pretty much the biggest difference. And that's what I try to tell the people that say, how do you do it? Well, I mean, it's it comes naturally. It comes easy because I love what I do. And if you manage to find that motivation inside you, the same will happen. I'm sure because like for yourself, I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure that you love what you do and that's why you you keep doing it and you do it so well. Uh, of course, it's a dedication. You, you need to spend time on it. It's not, again, nothing comes for free. But if you do what you love, uh, the challenge and the adventure come, it's you know, it's one that you're willing to take. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think it's one of the most important things that any individual could probably do for themselves is uh, find something that they enjoy doing and figure out how to how to make a little bit of money at that. Like make that make that passion, like make that your thing. And I think the other thing is also like, at least here in the US, like there's always been this ID, idea that you go to graduate high school, you go to college and graduate, you get out, you get a good job and you work somewhere and you stay there for 20 or 30 years. Or that was always the, the general thought of the American dream. But I think people have started to embrace. And I think, you know, there's a lot of anxiety for many people that aren't comfortable with it. But I think it's OK to embrace this idea that you could go do something for five or 10 years. And then, you know, if you've got another passion, something else, your passion, you can have more than one passion in life. You know, it's okay to diversify and try a couple, three, four, five different things. Um, you know, I think that's, I, I, it's one of the frustrating things to me about people who say that they don't, wouldn't want to live for, you know, a few hundred years or they get bored with life is like, there are so many things in this world that I would want to try that I know I'm sure. never going to even have the time to even attempt, yeah. little less get good at. Um, so yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that first, that first venture. Um, you, you mentioned, um, I see CX sports behind you, but you also mentioned uh, unicorn 
what let's which which came first and uh, which should we touch on first? So Unicorn came first. Um, I joined the rugby team here in Sarla because Unicorn it's uh, an incubator accelerator. Mm-hmm. And we actually took over the rugby club and we called it the 118-year-old startup. <laughs> so, and that's how the connection was perfect for, for what I wanted to do. So actually being working with startups, we working on that space and, and playing rugby at the same time. Uh, and through Unicorn, we uh, founded, you see the CX Sports on the back, that's actually the, let's call it the marketing name. So that's the part of the brand that we are building. The legal company, it's called Challenger X. Uh, it's, it's got two uh, places. So it's got one uh, part in the UK who is actually, we are um, floating into the Aquas Exchange in the next couple of weeks. And then we've got the um, French subsidiary that's where, you know, day-to-day business happen. So what we are doing is we, we're taking what we've done for Salo Rugby in terms of branding, in terms of image, and a big, big focus on monetization. And we are offering that to the rest of the clubs out there, not just rugby, not just in France, so anywhere in the world, no matter what language, no matter what sport. And uh, it's growing very big. Uh, the beauty is that every club is facing the same problems. We are getting the opposite message. They are coming to us and asking us, how can we do what you've done? How can you help us achieve where you are? Uh, not just in terms of social media that, for instance, we've been... Uh, we. We had 1,500 followers uh, 10 months ago, and we've just breached the 150K. Wow. We've created our own TV station, uh, salorugby.tv, and we had over 100,000 people watching our games uh, live, uh, unique uses. Uh, We developed a whole sponsorships programs that actually offers something to the to the companies that will support us so we are giving them the visibility that they need to develop uh targeting targeting on the markets uh, building campaigns that are actually useful for them um and we've went from zero budget in international sponsors to a million uh in yeah 12 to 18 months so those th- those things um Again, with a big uh, focus on monetization is what we've been focusing on. And this is what we are bringing to everyone else. Um, we've got at least 20 to 30 requests every every day. Uh, how can we work with you? Um, can you help us? Because most of the teams are struggling. And our approach is a bit different than the others. So we are focusing on the amateur level. Um, our solution is free. So that's the first, um, 
difference and probably the biggest. So a club comes to us and says, okay, I want to work with you. Okay, it's free. And, and even when we approach them, so this is what we can do for you. You get all this for free. We just work on a commission base. So if we make you earn money, then we get a small piece. But if we don't, you lose nothing. As soon as you go that way, they're all in because they've got nothing to lose. And they've, they've got so many difficulties right now. Uh, and again, COVID made things worse in terms of monetization. You see so many clubs uh, crashing in terms of financials. And this is a, a way that we can actually help them bring value to what they're doing out there. Yeah, I think, you know, for for listeners in, in the States, you know, we don't have a strong uh, amateur semi-pro uh, sports level here to not, not too much. It goes, you know, straight from college into pros, you know, you get drafted, but not everybody and not every league in the world is the NFL or the NBA with TV exclusive TV rights and all this, or, or even the premier league, you know, with exclusive TV rights and all these things, there are a lot of clubs out there. And I, I was fortunate to, to be able to travel a little bit and spend a couple of years overseas and, you know, being exposed to that, there, there's a lot of teams, a lot of clubs over there that are kind of at this level where they're like you said, they're amateur or they're semi-pro, but they're not quite all the way there and, and they're struggling. And obviously, I, I think COVID certainly could not have helped those situations. And it really does force them into a thing where, you know, if they've went a period of time where maybe they haven't been able to even hold games yeah, yeah. or they've had to hold games with limited capacity for attendance, um, you know, it's, it's, it's right. You know, you're feeling a need through this company, through your services uh, to really help them reinvent themselves and keep themselves relevant. And, and even as you mentioned, grow their branding and grow their exposure. What, what will tell me a little bit more, obviously, you know, you can come into a club and, and branding is something you can obviously help them with social media, something web, that's, that's all, you know, uh, SEO and all those kind of things are, are things that you can do. But tell me a little bit more about this, uh, the TV, the TV situation, like getting games on TV. Is this on an actual broadcast network or is this done uh, over the over the web or, or how, how is this done? All of those things at the same time. Actually, we, for instance, we created for Solid Rugby, we created our own channel. So we can control everything that happens on it. But we also signed around 60 different contracts with TV stations, streaming stations, uh, mobile apps that will syndicate our content. Uh, I think that, for instance, in the States, we've signed uh, Win. Uh, so, yeah. And what do they get? They get our content Uh regularly uh, well produced because we've got a whole team inside um, that will deliver the content uh, every single time. And then we get an exchange, you know, you, you just cut off a deal that makes sense for both sides. The idea again is same with sponsorships is creating that win-win situation where you can both benefit. I mean, this makes no point to go, I mean, a little bit the, the old ways of, Hey, can you give me some money? Yeah, but what 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 am, are you going to do for me? Right. For me, that's just simple relationships. You 
you need to create a good relationship. You need to have that win-win situation where both sides can achieve their objectives in a much easier way by working together. Um, that's what we've done on the TV side. Uh, of course, we would not be in a position to give TV exposure for every single team. It depends on the, the size. It uh, depends on what is it that they want to achieve because not everyone wants to be seen on TV. Um, but they don't. <laughs> not everyone. I mean, I've, I've talked to many of those who are, you know, in in a space that they are comfortable. They want to, yes, increase the, their monetization a little bit, but they don't. They don't have those aspirations of becoming, you know, the next uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I mean, this. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something you we will work. We would have on our platform. We have uh, tools that allow every single team to monetize, and then from that baseline, we can upgrade into different methods, uh, into more exposure, more visibility. Uh, we would go even right after NFTs. There's plenty of stuff to do to work with. Yeah. Are, are, is, is what you're doing um, with the monetization aspects of it, is any of that dealing, you mentioned NFTs, or any of that dealing with uh, crypto or any, any of those aspects? There is an aspect on social tokens too. Yeah. Okay. We, we call that the three to 5% of the teams. because not every team is in a position to make that worth their, their time and their, their investment. Um, but yeah, this will definitely be teams that are, or, or leagues or, uh, that you can actually tokenize, uh, it, there will, there would be social tokens, uh, which is big difference. So they're not security. You do not own a piece of the company. You just uh, participate. You, uh, I, the good thing is that you can get a lot of benefits by doing that. Like for instance, you're a big fan of, uh, whoever that plays at your team, uh, you could get an interview with him if you own a certain amount of tokens, for instance. Ah. You can do stuff that goes beyond the regular, yeah, you can buy a jersey, but what if that jersey can have uh, your favorite player a number and signature uh, on it? I mean, that makes a difference. That makes all the difference. I mean, if you're just telling me that uh, I it's going to buy me some some a jersey or some clothing, you know, from the team store, well, I, I can go buy that with regular money. But if you're giving me something that I can't get anywhere else, that totally changes the the perception of it for sure. And that's the market that we build, and you need to build it. Um, you need to spend a lot of time with that team to make it happen. Because I mean, it's personalized it's customized you need to work it through uh but there is much of that process that's being automated by ourselves for instance the minting of the token it's being handled by us uh, and we work with their team to create everything that's happening same with nfts we we can create the nfts for the clubs uh we can um you know, synchronize with the tokens on that case. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of work uh, that can be done for teams, depending on which um, tier, let's call them, on which tier they are 
and how much exposure they they can they they want to get. And and so this is what we've been talking about up to this point has been uh, CX Sports. Yeah, that's yeah. the name uh, for the clubs. Let's say. Gotcha. Gotcha. But the overall overall uh, vision or organization is is Unicorn, this this incubator that has all this structure behind behind it. That's that's kind of overarching. Um, one of the things that I was really intrigued about, and and uh, tell I want you to tell me more about this as as well, Unicorn in particular. But as just as I was glad going through the website for it, um, one of the things that kind of struck me is that. Your is the sailing point of it not being in a big city. Like I, everybody wants to be in a big city because traditionally, I guess that is where things have happened. But I think you know there's a real shift at least here. I, I don't know if it's over there as well, which is why I kind of it struck me. I guess is because there's a real movement where people are kind of uh, reevaluating whether it's worth living in a big city or not. You know, to be quite honest, and if there are. Uh, you know, incubators like this in other places, I think it definitely creates a, a different kind of opportunity for the right person. It's great that you bring that up because actually uh, Dom, the founder of Unicorn, um, he lived in, in LA for 25 years. He's French. <laughs> French. Uh, he went there when he was young. He lived in, in LA for 25 years and he got sick and tired. Yeah. That's why he came back to France and, uh, he has done him and his wife. They visited like 54 different little towns in France, made themselves a secret list. And Salah actually was top three on both lists. That's how they ended up here. And exactly what you just said, the idea is to show people that we can do business anywhere. In this case, in Salah, you can come here, you can have an ecosystem of companies that will help you out, that will um, accelerate and incubate what you're doing, depending on the stage that you're in, and you could be successful no matter where you are. And instead of paying 50k rent in London, you can pay 10 times less in here uh, and get the same results. And we, our fir first um, exit, let's say, was uh, a company called XR Applied. It's um, AR VR company that we've been working with since the early innings. Um, so from, from the seed round uh, and a couple of months ago, the company was listed in Canada and in Germany. Uh, uh, the valuation today, I think it's around 25 million. What, what, what kind of companies do, do you usually look for? I mean, is this something where you're looking for a particular kind of company to work under this uh, structure here with Unicorn? Or is it where, you know, companies just hit you up and, and say, hey, we want to come here. What's the fee? And they come. So we do just tech when it comes to incubation acceleration. But one of our own companies, too, which is called Mobcast, it's all focused on customer acquisition, um, SEO, ASO, and um, investors relationships. And that's where, what we really like to do. Uh, and on that end, we can work with any sector. We are industry agnostic, language agnostic. In fact, we... We have more than 5,000 keywords ranked number one today on the App Store and iOS. Um, 
in 17 different languages. So those are the things that we like to do the most. The Let's call it the customer acquisition campaigns, uh, marketing campaigns, investor relationship campaigns for different companies, including public companies, because we've done and we are doing lots of those, especially in the US, Canada, and, and, and the UK. I guess my next question would be, what is, for somebody who is maybe always taking the, the, the traditional business approach of a startup, where we're just going to bootstrap or get loans and we're going to do it on our own and build the team gradually and and pay that office rent somewhere else where they're not in an incubator setup. Can you explain to someone who's only had that experience with the difference that being in an incubator system like Unicorn, you know, really provides as far as the timeline, you know, that we're talking about because it is an accelerator and it does ex- accelerate. And I think that's uh, just something that a lot is missed on a lot of people that they're, that it, it, it's the advantages of being in these situations. First and foremost, allow me to tell you that that first reaction, I think it's necessary. So the people that we would like to work with are the people that show that are doing everything they can to succeed on their own. I mean, we need to have that connection, that understand that the people that we're working with are worthwhile and are not just going to be a headache. Right. Sorry to be completely honest, but this is probably one of the first filters that we do, and we filter nine out of 10 people. And then... What I would tell those guys is that imagine that you go into a space where everything is done for you, not to do the things for yourself, but to support you. So whenever you need to launch a marketing campaign, you will have someone or some or, or many or a team that will help you work through that. Whenever you need uh, financial help, okay, this this is your CPA. Whenever you got um, a juridic and the question, okay, we've got our our team. Uh, so everything goes quick. And then what we really do is identify people who are in a phase where they can just, that are ready to explode. And that phase, it's usually where you need to involve a lot more marketing services, where you need to involve, uh, to put a lot more money in. And that's where you need to have a, a product or a service that's ready um, market-wise. And then from that, I mean, we can exponentially grow together from that phase. And if you do it alone, how many of those resources would you be able to deploy in such a short notice? How much, uh, how big is your team? Because that's the other question. How how big is your team? We've got 65 people working here. So imagine you would have, of course, they are not all for you, but they are here. They can all do something to help you achieve your objectives. So typically speaking, are you, it sounds like maybe you're looking for a company that it doesn't necessarily have to be big. It could be pretty small as far as the amount of people there. But you are looking to to kind of work with companies that are 
not a fresh startup. They not they're not brand new. They've got a little bit of a of a track record. Like you said, they've kind of proven that they can take it to this far, and they're they've got the grit and the determination and the discipline to kind of see it through. And they just need this help. Is is that more accurate? Like if somebody came to you and was like, "I've got this idea. I just raised yeah. somebody." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you 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 just said the wrong word. <laughs> no good. <laughs> I'm sorry, there, there are other incubators that do it, and I'm, I'm all in, but uh, not ourselves. We ask for three things, proof of concept, clients, and proof of investing. Uh, we do that for certain reasons, but one of them is to reduce risks. Others is to prove uh, credibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably the most important reason is uh, we don't want to waste time on your side and on our side. Um, and what you've described before that, that sweet spot is, yes, when companies have already got an MVP that they can use, they have tested, it works, they are ready on the tech side to explode. Okay, let's work together. Let's make that happen. That's our sweet spot, indeed. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that approach. And the reason I ask is because out here, I feel like, and especially I've, I've been in, in California now for about three years or so. Um, and, you know, I, the, the Silicon Valley mentality of uh, start raising capital to to build an idea, to raise more capital, to sell it before it ever becomes profitable um, has sort of kind of like, you know, from from that area and in, in, in the tech industries has sort of like infiltrated the rest of the business mindset to some extent in other industries as well, you know, where you're actually producing tangible goods, which makes it very, it's, it's a different thing than, than saying, I'm going to make this app, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a much different thing. So I, I actually really like this, this, this criteria that you have, uh, because I, I think it does help certainly, um, not waste either party's time because I do see that a lot as well. You know, these, these ventures over here, sometimes it feels like uh, a lot of money will get raised and some people will make a lot of money out of the situation, but a lot of people don't make money, a lot of money out of the situation and it, you know, it'll fizzle out and people will take their respective money and walk away from the situation and nothing ever really even sometimes gets built out of it which is super frustrating, I think, on everybody's behalf, except maybe for the ones that are walking away with bags of money. But, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, so I'm yeah. a, I'm a, I'm a de- good point. I'm definitely That's a bigger, a I'm definitely a bigger fan of, uh, you know, having tan- tangible proof of a little bit of a track record. And um, I, I think that certainly helps uh, make, make the success rate much higher as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it all comes back to the risk. Uh, we, you always take a risk when you're in the startup world, but at least that's a measurated risk and not just a blind risk, right? And also, um, it allows you to identify people that are, again, worth working with because they've already done it themselves until at least a certain level Uh if we go back to the leadership example of leading by example, uh, it comes back to that. They've done it themselves. Now they need some help to go quicker, to accelerate. Okay, uh, now we can work together. 
So what is what is uh, what's what's upcoming for for you? Um, you mentioned you've got some some games coming up, but what's what's kind of on the horizon? Do you have any projects that are in the incubator that uh, you that you can share with us that are exciting? Actually, our main focus right now is Six Sports. It's growing very big. We've been in London two or three weeks ago uh, for our final uh, fundraise to, to get listed. So we're going public. Uh, we are dual listing uh, in Germany. We've got a big event coming in the next uh, in January, uh, probably the biggest sports event uh, ever. Uh, and yeah, so our focus is one hundred ninety five percent there, um, and uh, trying to make make a good point of what we've done so far and where we can take everyone else. Nice, nice. And so, uh, what what is what is the overall vision for you as you move into the future? You're kind of holding these two, this one foot in one world and a foot in another world. How long do you think you can you you will manage that? Um, and you know, what what do you kind of see the the road ahead looking like? <laughs> That's a good question because I ask myself that pretty much. <laughs> I just rem- I, ju- I just relate because as you get older, the uh, recovery times tend to take a little longer. <laughs> True. It's not just that, I would say, but it's actually got a lot of things going on. And uh, eventually you run out of time and you, you think you're not performing on any side. And that's where you start to, say, to ask yourself that question. No, so I mean, there's my family too. We've got a got a little kid, a uh, little daughter, one year and a couple of months. Uh, do want to be a part of, and eventually, I mean, you spend so much time. Whenever I go back home, I go off to trainings. So you, yeah, I mean, eventually, I'll ask myself that question when the season ends uh, in six six months and see what happens. But as you've said, my body is not that young anymore. Uh, I feel the hits a lot more. You're not 30. Are you Are you 30? 31. Not, okay. 31, yeah. Yeah. But recovering is not the same as when I was 25. Yeah, 20, 25 is like the sweet spot, man. If you could be 25 forever, the body is it responds so well at that age. And 20, 28 is still pretty good. But about, yeah, about the time you start hitting the mid, uh, early to mid 30s, yeah, you because I, I started to tell a difference at least uh, for sure. Yeah, same, same, and I think I've been hitting my body pretty much. So eventually, it'll, it it you know it sends you the bill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've certainly had to transition. You know, I, I used to do a lot more physical sports and things like that, and you know, I've I've had to you know over the last decade or so, I've worked in a lot of things that I never thought I would like. I. Uh, do hot yoga on a regular basis. And I find if I don't do it fairly regularly, like my body kind of hates me. Yeah. (laughs) Saunas really are, are a big help as well. Like all these little things I never did when I was honestly in my twenties and didn't, didn't even think about, I I sometimes wonder, you know, how many more miles I could have gotten out of it if I had, you know, done better uh, maintenance back then. True. True. But so far so good. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, it's been, uh, I want to be cautious of your time. I know you are super busy. Um, tell people where they can find you, where they can find out more about uh, Unicorn and CX Sports online. Sure. The best way would be through LinkedIn. Uh, just 
Lucas Caneda, L-U-C-A-S-C-A-N-E-D-A. That's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a, a great conversation. Um, Indeed. I'd yeah. love to. Thank yeah, you. If, I, if you're ever out in out, out on this side of the world, uh, feel free to, to hit me up and we'll do one of these in, in person. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Thank All you right. soon. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much and have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining another episode of the Evolved Idiots podcast. If you like the content, please like, subscribe. You can follow us anywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, any place, literally any place. Um, if you'd like full video content, um, you can catch us on YouTube. Um, but if you want uncensored content, um, you can also check us out on Rumble as well as Odyssey. Until the next time, peace, love, and power to the people.